0: You're listening to Creativity Quest, hosted by me, author and writing mindset coach, Carrie Schaefer. Join me and my guests on our quest to ditch our doubts, dance with our demons, and delve into creative delight. Creativity Quest is owned and copyrighted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Now, let's get creative. here again with another episode of Creativity Quest and today as always I am super excited only today maybe even more so because we get to talk to my good friend and fabulous author Susan Spann today and what makes this really extra special and really interesting is it's five o'clock for me my time. And Susan's in Japan. So today for me is Monday. I'm losing track of time. And Susan is Tuesday. in the. What time is it there, Susan?
1: It's just after nine o'clock in the morning. So I am calling from the future.
0: <laughs> it's so weird. I know. How is the future? Is there anything we need to know?
1: The future is fantastic. Except that there's a typhoon, but you probably won't get that part.
0: Well, I hope we don't get that part. Is it, I, I worry about you over there. It's like Japan is always trying to kill you. There's earthquakes and typhoons and big storms and things kind of happening. Giant
1: monster lizards that stomp through the city periodically. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> is there a monster lizard out, out the window right now?
1: there's no sign of Godzilla today so not I think today no
0: saying- well, maybe the typhoon is keeping him in so um backtracking a little because the rest of you who are listening may not know the fabulous Susan Span as well as I do so I should mention a few things um one of them that Susan is the author of the Hero Hattori Shinobi series is that is that right what's the series title actually Susan
1: um, it well, you actually have it correct. It sounds so a little bit odd um, because the first three books were published as the Shinobi Mysteries, and yes. then I changed publishers. I'm now with Seventh Street Books, and they reissued the series as the Hirohatori Mysteries after the name of the protagonist, Hirohatori. Ah,
0: so I kind of was like including everything.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. So. Here's the awesome thing about, well, one of the awesome things about Susan. Um, Her books are set in Japan, and Hiro Hattori is a shinobi, which is the same as a ninja, kind of only is the correct term for Japanese, correct?
1: Yes, shinobi is the Japanese term for ninja. Ninja is actually based on a Chinese pronunciation of the same characters.
0: There you go. So Susan has been fascinated by Japan for many years, and she began this series um, with this medieval Shinobi investigator and his sidekick who is a Portuguese priest um, which is very authentic historically I understand which is like Susan's very very good at details um, like that and anyway Susan kept visiting Japan and she became so interested in it that she actually moved there so I think that as part of creativity quest susan i I think this is kind of a perfect thing because you just took this big adventure. It was the thing you always <laughs> wanted to do, and you took this giant huge leap and i I don't know I feel like we should talk about that somehow. So where did you get the idea that you might actually move to Japan?
1: You know many years ago, and this is you know I'm trying to stay off the rabbit trails, but I guess I'm a rabbit at heart the I saw a TV show with Anthony Bourdain and he was interviewing a man who was an expat in Thailand and he was saying, you know, why did you come to Thailand? And the guy said, well, I got off the plane and found the piece of my heart that had been missing my whole life. And I thought in Thailand with that muddy water, are you crazy? (laughs) And then But I had always loved Japanese history and Japanese culture. Um, And when I finally went to Japan, which did not happen until I was an adult because I was terrified of getting on an airplane, Um, but I went. And when I got off the plane here for the first time in 2012, I just absolutely fell in love with the country. And I understood finally what that meant. Um, The minute I landed in Japan, the first time I felt like I had come home, which is you know, odd because I'm I'm not Japanese, but I just absolutely love it. And so I would come back for research trips, as you said. And the research trips were getting longer and longer, which of course means more and more expensive. And I finally realized, you know, it probably would be more more cost effective to live in Japan and visit the U.S. Um, but that didn't really seem possible because I had a career. You know, I was an attorney for 20 years in the United States, and that was my job. And you know, I was writing my books and everything was there and it just didn't make sense. And then one day I just decided I was going to take a sabbatical for a year and come to Japan and climb a hundred mountains in a year and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So Um, so
0: let's backtrack a little bit about those hundred mountains because there's a whole nother book involved with the hundred mountains. So Susan is not only, we're going to talk about her newest, um, Hero book here in just a moment, but we need to talk about the book that's connected to those climbing those 100 mountains.
1: Yes, the book is actually titled Climb. And very, very when I decided, title. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Um, and so when I decided that I was going to do this, you know, I've lived a life that was really ruled by fear and by I can't and by all the things that I felt like I was too, too afraid or that it wasn't okay or that I couldn't do. And so I decided um, that I was going to break free from that and come to Japan and spend a year here climbing mountains. By the way, I had never climbed a mountain in my life. I was <laughs> middle-aged, overweight, and had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. Um, and my agent thought it would make a great book. And we signed a book contract. And then seven days later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer.
0: Right. And I, I remember this moment. It, it was... Uh...
1: And you were the one I called, actually. You were, <laughs> yes.
0: you were, because, well, I happen to have some little experience with the whole breast cancer thing myself. So I that, that whole, at, at that point, you know, here you are, you're off on the adventure of a lifetime, you've actually got a book contract signed to go sign, climb these mountains, you're, you know, on your road to conquering your fears, and then boom, you got hit with something like that. Now, a lot of people would just kind of be flattened and give up at that point, but not you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we were, we were supposed to leave in February. I was supposed to start climbing the states. I was supposed to start climbing the mountains in February of 2018. And uh, the oncologist said my surgery and treatments would take about six months. And so we pushed the plans back from February to May. And I went through cancer treatment and within 30 days of finishing my last cancer treatment, I was on my first mountain.
0: You are a little bit of a crazy woman.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was nuts. But
0: the other thing you guys don't know is that, you know, Susan was telling the doctors, you know, things like that they needed to speed up all of the treatment and get things done sooner so that she could go, which, by the way, is a writer thing, because when I had my own breast cancer diagnosis and I went to see the surgeon, they were all a little bewildered by my first question being, well, how long after the surgery will I be able to write? <laughs> so,
1: uh, yeah, I met my surgeon. She walked into the room and I, and I looked, stood up and looked at her and said, hi, I'm Susan. I'm having a double mastectomy tomorrow. Can you schedule that? <laughs> and she said, "How about I examine you first? Uh, and but she did, in fact, schedule my surgery for three days later. Wow! So Which, she really moved fast for me.
0: That is that is very amazing. My my surgeon made me promise not to get out my own scalpel and take care of it myself. But not that I would have. But um, it's that drive that that need to get those books written that um, is really. Keeps us keeps us moving. So, you really faced your fears, and you know, the mountains was such such a journey for you. And that that book is coming out in
1: next June of twenty twenty. June the the current release date is June two of twenty twenty. Shortly right. before the so
0: Olympics, we have a lot of time before climb comes out. And I, I think maybe I should try and entice you back onto the podcast sometime before then to talk about that. Um, I would love to. I, I would love that. Also, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about this particular Hitori novel, which is called The Ghost of the Bamboo Road. And yes. I feel a little personal connection to this particular book.
1: <laughs> have you read the dedication page?
0: <laughs> I have not. I, ha- I have pre-ordered, but the book's not yet in my hands. So I feel that perhaps there was a little tiny bit of influence from me <laughs> behind the theme. Do you Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because that was that was a fun story.
1: It was. Well, I mean, for years, you know, because you write a series that I loved called Shadow Valley Manor, which involves a um, paranormal investigator who goes to investigate crimes and is involved with a fantastic, um, I, I would call it an old folks' home, even though that's not anymore the current popular it's a appropriate retirement word.
0: Retirement
1: community. Retirement community. <laughs> Uh, featuring things like a geriatric vampire, who, by the way, is one of my favorite characters in fiction. Um, And while you were writing that series, you periodically would ask me things like, you know, what do you think Hero would do if he saw a ghost? And, you know, my answer was very stodgy. And I just said, you know, Hero doesn't believe in ghosts. And so he wouldn't see one. And you said, well, you know, and, and then the question kind of changed. And you said, well, I mean, what, what, if, what would you do if, if somebody told Hero there was a ghost? Like, they believed it. And I said, he'd, he'd say it was nonsense. It, like, wouldn't happen. But you just kind of periodically, not all the time, you just periodically this question would keep coming up. And then we did an author event with Lisa Alber, who also writes fabulous mysteries. And at that event, we were asking about we were putting questions together for that event. And one of the questions that I was shouted down on was, what would your detective do if he saw a ghost? And as I was pondering what I was going to say in answer to that question, because of course, in front of a room full of people, you can't just be like, well, he wouldn't, because then you look like the jerk, right? So <laughs> as I was thinking about it, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's actually a very interesting, it actually is a very interesting question because not only do people have to confront things in life that they don't believe in or don't think to be true, you know, so we have to be able to not be totally closed-minded on our perspective about things. And what I realized was that it wasn't Hero that was closed-minded, it was me. And so as a writer, I try with every book to challenge myself and to grow. Not only that, there is a Japanese proverb that actually says, every writer has at least one ghost story in them.
0: Which, and which is, so... You know what? I, and I'm going to just rudely interrupt you here and, and challenge you a little bit on this one because you said you're closed-minded and I know that this is not true in the, for the most part <laughs> about you, but closed-minded <laughs> about this. So, but ha, have you ever had a ghostly encounter, Susan?
1: You know, after you started asking me this question, I did which was also part of what changed me between the time you asked the question first and the time we had our experience at the author event, which was that I was on Koyasan, which is one of the most sacred mountains in Japan, and I was at Okuno-in, which is a graveyard, a cemetery that has 250,000 graves. So if you can imagine, it takes an hour to walk from one end to the other. And I was there at night and had taken a tour and was walking back through the cemetery at night and paused to take photographs. And bearing in mind that I didn't believe in ghosts. Well, I've always said I believe in ghosts only so they wouldn't feel the need to prove their existence to me. <laughs> That's which was,
0: a, a, You know, good way to hedge your bets on that
1: one. <laughs> right. But I had stopped to take pictures of the gravestones and heard one of the many priests who walk through that cemetery um, at all times of day because there's a very sacred mausoleum of uh, the priest Kobo Daishi at the far end. And so they walk in these wooden clogs. And I was taking photographs, and I heard one of the priests coming up behind me and heard the clogs click, 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 click on the stones. And I didn't want to turn and bow too quickly because... It's awkward in Japan when you bow to somebody as they're approaching. If you're standing there and they're still not at bowing distance, then you're standing and they're hurrying and it's awkward. And so I was continuing to take photographs until he was right behind me. And, you know, I heard the, you, you can hear when somebody's wearing wooden clogs and they walk up behind you on a stone, stone path. I mean, like you can hear them coming. And I waited until he was right behind me and I turned and the sound stopped and there was no one there. Mm. And the path, even though it was dark, and like it was nighttime, it was about 1030 at night, the path was lit and straight for 100 yards. So there really wasn't anybody there.
0: Okay, that's just freaky. This is where I would be running out of the graveyard.
1: And that is, in fact, what I did. (laughs) I turned and said, good evening, and bowed, and there was nobody there, and I turned and ran like hell, and when I got out of the graveyard, learned, uh, remembered, and learned actually, um, because I had heard a a bit about this a long time before, but had never actually thought about it again. That there is a Japanese, a known Japanese ghost called Beto Beto San, and Beto Beto is called what? Beto Beto, B E T O, Beto Beto, Beto Beto is the onomatopoeic word for the sound that clogs me. Beto, wow. Beto, Beto, Beto. And Beto, Beto-san is known for following people in the nighttime to make them run. Huh. And the way that you actually get him to stop, or it to stop, is by turning and acknowledging it and telling it no after you, or good evening. Huh. And so supposedly it will never bother me again. Um, however, it did really revolutionize my idea of um, ghosts and whether or not they exist. And I don't know fully what um, I don't know fully what I believe about all of the extent of it. But I know now that it is an open question for me, um, and not just an open question. But you know, they're are out there, and so there are things that you can experience that you don't understand, and right. that and so, can be scary.
0: And then we were, you were able to take that energy and bring that to your um, skeptical detective.
1: I was, because I realized, as you said, and mentioned in one of our conversations, you know, Hiro didn't believe, doesn't believe in ghosts. He's a, he's a committed skeptic. But other people did, and do. And I thought to myself, you know, what would happen if the murder that was committed, if Hiro thought it was a person, but if everyone else around him was persuaded, and with evidentiary reasons for that, that it was a ghost? And so that was the, that was the impetus for this novel.
0: Well, and I'm just absolutely—I mean, I love all your books. I'm—I'm I'm bothered by the fact that I believe this is the only one that I have not read in some form before publication. I,
1: you, you know, know what this is one. That? You know, and I, and I this is one that nobody read before publication, actually, <laughs> because um, I—the due date for this was December, and of my mountain year. And so I was writing this book while in the middle of trying to climb 100 mountains in 300 days. Oh, okay, days. All right. Well, you're And you're forgiven, so then. I, I quite literally was writing it. I would climb a mountain during the day, and I would come down, and I would be in my hotel room trying to write and with another mountain the next day. And so I just slammed uh, on all the afterburners and got it written, but in order to get it written by deadline, only my agent was able to give me really good feedback on this one although she loved it so we were able to go and and move forward but yes i
0: well, this, this i missed is,
1: your feedback although in well, some ways and i missed
0: you know being being involved but the, on the good side now i'm excited because i actually get to read it in the fully finished version and whatever so i have it pre-ordered so for those of you um who are, are not in the know the book is called the ghost of the bamboo road um and it is the Shinobi Mystery Book 7, which I was I was mentioning to Susan before we started talking. Amazon has done an interesting little thing here. It says- Counting is not
1: are, one of their strong points.
0: <laughs> Amazon would like to say that there are six Shinobi Mysteries and that this is number seven. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, <laughs> I'm not good at math, but that doesn't add up. Um, it also is missing number six, which is the um, Koya Mountain Book.
1: Uh, yes, Trial on Mount Koya, which is, is there. You can buy it on Amazon. It's just that Amazon on, hasn't got it linked on the same page. Apparently, Amazon can only count to six. And so when they get to seven, something had to fall off. We're, we're in the process of getting that figured out. But if you look, if you do a search under uh, Hirohatori or Susan Span, you will get all of them.
0: Now, another question for you, can can uh, new readers to your series, can they dive right into The Ghost of the Bamboo Road, or would they be better to go back and start at the beginning?
1: You can actually read it completely as a standalone. One of the things that I'm really, really conscious of is that I have started a lot of series in midstream just because I didn't realize the book was part of a series, and I really hate it when you start reading a book in a series and you either don't understand anything about anything, or you start reading a mystery and they give away the people who killed the people in the last war. And so you, like, well, I know what happened there now. So I take a no-spoiler um, view to my mysteries to the maximum extent I can. There are, of course, anytime you have series and characters in a world that's functional, there are things that happen that impact those characters in terms of personal relationships. And so some of those things I make allusions to. But for the most part, but but the mystery itself is absolutely standalone and you can absolutely pick it up in midstream without missing out on anything. Um, On the other hand, if you want to watch the relationship between Hiro and Father Mateo develop from the beginning, then you can start at book one. But either way, it works both ways.
0: So what I always, what I often do with the series is I'll I will pick it up like with the newest book and then I go back to the beginning and read them all. So that's that's a, that's another option, of course, for for anybody. You know, it's funny with the spoilers. I ran into this because the Shadow Valley books, which are my only like mystery series, the the one thing is there is a, an automatic spoiler if book four a character is alive whose life was in danger in book one, right?
1: This is true, and one advantage to where my books are right now is that although the first three are set in Kyoto, um, after that the characters leave Kyoto, or the first four are set in Kyoto, after that they leave Kyoto and they're traveling around, so there really aren't any characters in this one that were in the previous ones, so you don't (laughs) have that spoiler alert, starting at this point in the series.
0: Right. Right, right. Well, yes. I'm, I'm very excited to read it. Um, and, you know, I just, I love this whole thing about you being in Japan. And another thing, I mean, your life there is so interesting and fascinating. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about the calligraphy.
1: Because yes. that is so cool. <laughs> Um, well, one of the things I had always loved is traditional Japanese calligraphy, which is the brush calligraphy that you see, um, both the style that is the kanji, which is the Japanese character, the Japanese characters, which are adapted from Chinese characters, basically. And then also kana, which is that long flowy writing that almost looks like, you know, maybe a bug got, ran through the inkwell and then ran down the paper and left a (laughs) bunch of trails. Um, Or a lizard, maybe, because there are some lines, little tail lines. But um, I've always loved them, and I thought they were wonderful and beautiful. And when I came to Japan, I had the opportunity to study with a master. Um, In fact, my master's calligraphy is being presented to one of the dignitaries who's coming here uh, for the Imperial Coronation, which is taking place today. Um, She was selected. you
0: get to go to the Imperial Coronation?
1: Uh, no, uh, that's a, it's a private ceremony. In fact, okay. it's, it's a, been a private ceremony for centuries. Um, but they will televise it, so I will watch it on in HK. But, um But the new emperor is being crowned today. And so he became the emperor back in May, which was historic because it was the first time an emperor of Japan had ever abdicated. They actually had to have a special motion passed in the diet to allow him to abdicate because by law, that was not allowed. Um, but he, the old emperor wanted his son to succeed to the throne under happy circumstances rather than sad circumstances. And he also was a lifelong um, scientist. The old emperor, people don't realize, he wrote several, histo- several um, scientific papers that were published in journals. And he wanted to spend the last years of his life studying. And so he abdicated and his son assumed the throne. And so we had a new imperial reign name, which is Reiwa. It's now Reiwa one in the Japanese calendar. And the new emperor is actually formally crowned about six months later. So that's happening today. Um, all of which is a rabbit hole to say my calligraphy teacher.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love rabbit holes. You heard know that. Calligraphy I can travel down rabbit holes all day long and never get tired. <laughs>
1: Listen, I've got a big network of tunnels down here. Um, But so anyway, I had a chance to start learning, and it was something I'd always wanted to do. And so I, I signed on to have classes with her, and I will never forget my first class. I went in, and she showed me how to hold the brush, and she showed me how to, you know, she was starting to show me the first stroke, and I said to her, and bearing in mind that my teacher speaks no Japanese, or no English at all. Sorry, she only speaks Japanese. She speaks a little bit of English. Um, enough to, you know, communicate well enough to teach me some, but she doesn't speak it fluently by any means. And I speak, at the time, I spoke very little Japanese, but I said to her, you know, I'm, I'm left-handed. Can I, is that okay? And she looked at me and she said, there are no left-handed Japanese calligraphers. <laughs> and of course I thought, well, I'll be the first. I said, oh, but is it okay? And she said, perhaps you did not understand me. Perhaps I did not explain well. There are no left-handed Japanese calligraphers. (laughs) At which point I realized that what she meant was not, you're the first, it was, and you won't be either. (laughs) (laughs) And now that I've done it for a while, I've realized that the reason for that is that because the muscles and the musculature of your hand physically are opposed, you cannot produce the strokes properly with your left hand. It can't be done. And so I decided that I would simply have to do it right-handed. And uh, about a month and a half ago, (laughs) I finally broke through the student ranks and made the lowest. Um, The ranks descend from 10th to first in order, with first being the best or the highest. Um, You have to proceed and test through 10 student ranks and then through the 10 master ranks, very similarly to martial arts, to belting up in martial arts. Um, And a month ago, I received my lowest master rank in kanji and so uh it can be done you can even change your handedness doesn't change my regular writing but for calligraphy i'm right-handed
0: that is just absolutely so fascinating and and i love that because it's another creative endeavor so do you find that it helps you with your writing at all to be doing you know another creative Thing like that? Has it had any impact at all that you notice, or what do you think about
1: that? <laughs> well, I'm behind on my next novel if because I spent so much <laughs> time, spend practicing. Your time
0: doing calligraphy. And <laughs>
1: um, you know, there being only two, so many hours in a day, um, it has been really good for me on all kinds of levels. Um, there's a level of focus that's required to do calligraphy, and actually, there's an expression in Japanese that roughly translates to English as as no mind and it's or or empty mind and It's very common in martial arts You know if you ask a martial artist like what were you thinking about when you did that? If they did something really really amazing, they will typically to answer that no mind I had an empty mind the empty mind is capable of channeling things that the full mind is not And one of the things that I really love about calligraphy is that although it takes a lot of thought and a lot of practice, there is a meditative state that you fall into when you're practicing well Um, and when things are going well. And it's very peaceful and it's very helpful in terms of resetting, refreshing myself. It is a really beautiful, you know, it's a creative endeavor. I I love art. I'm not much of an artist in the sense that like, you know, stick figures are about the limit of my drawing ability. And the ability to make these beautiful characters has been really, really good for my creative soul. In fact, to the extent that um, my hero novel number eight, which is already under contract for next year, Fires of Edo, is an arson book, but hero number nine is actually going to be a calligraphy book.
0: Oh, wonderful. I, I was just I was thinking when you're talking about the, the empty mind, it sounds like meditation. And so, you know, a meditative state, any meditative state is good for us, um, refreshing and healing and uh, refilling the well and all of that. So I, it's so fun that you found this. And I know you will meet your deadline because you all. <laughs> <do.
1: laughs> I'm not worried about that. I will. I'm just not as far along as I'd like to be.
0: Yeah. Are we ever, right? I, I think I'm, not. I'm, I'm doing that right now. I'm, um, I'm in developmental edits for ah. my next summer book as Carrie Ann King, which is, a, you know, I, I had this developmental edit letter <laughs> from my editor, which said, well, I believe that the biggest problem is a pacing issue and this could be very simple or very complicated to fix and at which point I emailed her back and said, you know, I'm not picking the easy. So, much. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so I'm in the middle of racing a deadline for that as always. And um, just because we have the opportunity and we've talked about Shadow Valley today, I'm just gonna throw a little hint out there for any of you who like my Carrie Schaefer books and liked Shadow Valley, that there might just be a little surprise coming your way here in the near future. So going to leave that at that, I'm going to mention to you again that Susan's next Hero Hattori book is called The Ghost of the Bamboo Road. And that's out um, soon, right?
1: Yes, November, I believe it's November 17th, but it might be November 12th. I'm pretty sure it's November 17th.
0: I've I've got Amazon open here. Let me look. What does it tell us? Because I pre-ordered it. So it's still open on the screen. November 12th.
1: Oh, it is the 12th. Okay, good. Yes, I, I, it's my fault for not remembering, but I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we, was, we were going back and forth on the release date for a little while. It's, it's always um, good to
0: know when your release date is, though.
1: <laughs> Shortly before Thanksgiving. No, it is. That's true. Um,
0: that's helpful. I, I have it on a calendar, so I don't
1: need to remember <laughs>
0: These books are awesome, by the way. So the character, uh, the characters are cool. The mysteries are always very, I I never guess them. Um, And another thing that's really wonderful is just this immersion in Japanese culture and history. So you are going to want to get one of those books and be looking in the spring for Climb. Um, and I think unless you have something else you want to share Susan that's probably about it for us for this time
1: yeah thank you so much for having me it's been great to chat with you I miss you <laughs> I miss, yeah, that's the I only know, thing I miss do. about living here I miss seeing my friends in the states but you know
0: we miss you too but I'm glad that you are busy saying yes to life and following your dreams which and I hope creative.
1: everybody else does too